Welcome everyone to As For Me In My House, Season 2. Thanks for joining us in your homes, around your tables, or in your small groups in our church-wide study, Promises Kept, the whole story of the Bible. This is Part 2 of Chapter 4, Delivered from Judgment. And that is where we left off last time, in the magnificent events of God delivering Israel from Egyptian slavery and from his judgment. And he did this through the sign of a lamb's blood uh, on the door of each Israelite home. Those who applied the blood, the Lord saved, and he led out toward the land that he had promised to them. Now, just before we move on and move out of Egypt in this study, an important detail for us to note was embedded in that event. And it's that the Lord had instituted another event for Israel that was to go on uh, again and again, year after year, generation after generation. And that event that the Lord had instituted for Israel, Lauren, what was it? It was a meal, the meal of the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That's what they were to celebrate every year from then on. We find this in Exodus 12, 14 and 15. Here the Lord institutes the feast or days of the unleavened bread. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Verse 15, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. And also in Exodus 12, 24 to 27, here the Lord instituted the annual Passover meal. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. It will come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give to you, just as he promised, that you shall keep this service. And it shall be when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service that you shall say? It is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord, who passed over the houses of the children of Egypt in is, uh, children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So two events the Lord gave, bundled tightly almost as one, the Passover meal and the days of unleavened bread. For Israel, the Lord's Passover begins at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. It is immediately followed by the Feast of Unleavened Bread on the 15th day of the month. The Lord's Feast of Unleavened Bread begins. Now, we should know that commonly the whole week of the Feast of Unleavened Bread is known as Passover. The two events are stuck so closely together that it is called this way. And all of this is very interesting, isn't it? I mean, this is what we do. Uh, we, we commemorate and celebrate our greatest moments with food and feasts. Uh, can you imagine Christmas without the traditional baking? Uh, a summer birthday party without the barbecue? Uh, Valentine's Day without the chocolate? Well, we can't imagine. Certain food and certain holiday are to us inseparable and indispensable for recognizing and honoring the meaning of that event. Food and special event, they are wired together, and they are wired into us by a gracious God. They help us behold the value of an event, as we are engaged by the five senses the Lord has given us. Uh, the, the sense of taste, sight, touch, smell, and even hearing. Now, why is all this important? It's important for what these signify and what Israel was not to forget. Let's make sure we've got this. Right, the Passover meal, it signified that the sacrifice that was given, the lamb and its blood on, in their place, so that death would pass over them and they would be delivered. God says to do this Passover because I have redeemed you from Egypt. And he says, keep this feast of unleavened bread because in haste you made unleavened bread and made your way out of Egypt when I redeemed you. Okay, this unleavened bread, this yeast. Now the Bible often uses 
least, uh, yeast or leaven to signify sin. Uh, by putting away the leaven, they put away all that was associated with the land of their slavery. Now remember, God did not give them time to make bread with leaven. They did not have time to wait around in Egypt until the bread had finished rising so that they could bake it. The Feast of Unleavened Bread gives us a beautiful picture. It's a picture of separating oneself from sin. It is a picture of purity and of preparation. See, in this feast, not only was the eating of leavened foods forbidden during the feast, but also the mere presence of leaven within the home was forbidden. God told Moses, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven altogether out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened, from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. Wow, so as we can see, this was serious business. Mm. And it was, we note, seven full days of eating yeastless bread and seven days of purging your house mm. of leaven. Now just ponder that. Uh, think, like for how, we, we know what happens when we open the kitchen cupboards and we dig around. And we may not be looking for yeast, but we may be looking for crumbs. And those crumbs and those specks, well, they are in there, and we may pretend not to see them. And, and we will try to get them out at times, but they are hard to reach, and there's always more hiding in the back. Getting them out, we know, is a ton of work, and it never seems to be perfectly complete. But this was the task, to be vigilant, to get it all out. This was to be kept and passed on generation to generation. You know, Lauren, I've heard that to this day in Jewish homes, when they uh, celebrate this Passover feast, this uh, unleavened bread festival, um, that on a normal time like this, a family, uh, they would leave a bit of bread in their home in hidden places for the mm. children, to, children to seek out and find. Mm. The children will search out those yeasty creations until they eradicate the yeast from the house. Then the family takes what is found and they burn it outside. Mm. But at heart, none of this was child's play. That removal of yeast in the home was meant to convey a complete separation from the gods, religion, bondage, food, works, and slavery of Egypt. It's also meant uh, to be a break from its worldly glory, wisdom, power, strength, and popularity. By putting away the leaven, they put away all that was associated with the land of their slavery. Okay, well now that we have done all of this background work, on these feasts, let's, let's jump forward to today's passage in Luke chapter 22, 7 to 20. And here we will see how Jesus is the fulfillment of these things. Mm. In Luke 22, 7, it says, Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So here in this text, we see that Jesus kept these feasts. But now we find also that not only did he keep them, but they had been prepared mm. to be all about him. Mm -hmm. So let's do this. Let's try to count up the words Passover and prepared in these next verses. These are verses 13 to 18 of Luke 22. Are you ready? Count up the words Passover and prepared. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room finished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it, just as he had told them, 
and they prepared the Passover. Right. So four times in these verses, we hear the word Passover. This is to connect that whatever is about to happen with Jesus is connected to what happened in the first Passover. And also the words prepare or prepared, we've given four times. You know, some meals take more preparation than others, don't they? Uh, well, that is true. I remember in my college years, uh, we, we guys in the dorm, we did not put a whole lot of preparation <laughs> into our dorm meals. Uh, let's face it, it was all craft dinner and ramen noodles. Mm. Nothing we made uh, it took more than five to seven minutes. It took no skill. It certainly had no standard of excellence. <laughs> but this meal, this meal was prepared. It took preparation, far more preparation than it even appears as it had actually been prepared since eternity past. Mm. God carefully orchestrated all of history for this colossal moment. And now here in this text, the moment's coming, and here we see some of the final preparation in the last minutes. Right. Jesus tells them to look for a man carrying a pitcher. Now, this would have been an unusual sight because carrying a pitcher was typically a woman's work, and men carried liquids in animal skin containers. Jesus gives no address. He gives no names. In fact, some of the events sound like a spy movie. But the man carrying a pitcher would be a distinctive sign to the disciples. And indeed, this would be a distinctive Passover, nothing usual about it at all. Again, a meal perfectly prepared by God since eternity past. Let's just note that. Again, nothing random about this meal, but perfectly prepared by the Lord. And so now we also see that this meal is a meal that Jesus was passionate to have. Not only prepared, but passionate to have. That's right. Verse 14, And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Let's park on those words right there, earnestly desired. They reveal the heart of Jesus here, don't they? Right. Other translations say, with fervent desire I have desired. This was a moment of passion for Jesus. And how come? It wasn't so much that he was saying goodbye to his disciples, but rather he arrived at the central reason why he came, to institute a new covenant with us based on his own sacrifice. Something monumental happens here. Jesus transitions from the last Passover to the first communion. Something big is happening. It is hard for us to understand the gravity of it. In a short transition, Jesus is putting an end to the old covenant and introducing the new. This is the end of the whole ceremonial law, all the dietary laws, all the Sabbath laws, all rituals, sacrifices, and altars, the priesthood. This is what they have been waiting for. This is not the beginning of the end. Rather, it is the beginning of the beginning. Mm -hmm. So let's look even closer at this. Uh, and here, I think, are three, re three reasons why we can conclude why it is that Jesus earnestly desired to eat this meal. Mm. Number one, Jesus earnestly desired to, to do the Father's will. We read in Psalm 40, verse 8, uh, this prophetic word that says, I delight to do my Father's will. Uh, Psalm 48, I delight to do your will, oh my God. Your law is within my heart. Mm. Jesus delighted to do what the Father sent him to do. Mm -hmm. And a second reason is teaching the disciples the meaning of his death. Teaching this is what he does in verses 19 and 20. And he took the bread and we had, when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus was eager to teach to them how this meal was making a new covenant. What is the new covenant all about? It is all about an inner transformation that cleanses us from all sin. 
As Jeremiah 31, 34 says, For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. So in this new covenant here, uh, the sins of the people are forgiven and Mm. removed once and for all by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And the people of God have direct, intimate access to him. Mm-hmm. And furthermore, this new covenant, it's also about putting God's word and his will into us, isn't it? Yeah, as Jeremiah 31, 33 says, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. It is all about a new, close relationship with God. Jeremiah 31 continues, I will be their God and they shall be my people. With the law of God now written on our heart, we have a desire to obey, a, de- a heart that desires to live for God and to love his rule. I remember when this happened in my own life, I just had a completely new heart and new desires. And if we don't have that desire, perhaps we should assess if we have trusted in Christ as our Passover lamb, whose body was broken for us, whose blood was shed uh, to wash us clean. Perhaps we should assess or examine if this new heart through the new covenant is ours. Dwelling on this passage and what it means for us is a great place to begin. And again, Jesus was eager uh, to explain this mystery that was hidden through the ages. Lauren, how much do you think that Jesus may have wanted to tell his disciples the meaning of this sooner? Mm. I mean, how easy is it for you or I to sit on huge news or a big announcement? And our Lord had known this, and he, he knew that he would give his body and blood to make a new covenant with, mm. them and, with them and with us. And now he finally was able to teach it to them. And isn't it humbling that Jesus fervently desired to share this? Yeah, that he did not desire this regrettably, nor desire it half-heartedly, nor begrudgingly, especially as we link this meal with his coming agony in the garden and on the cross. To see that Jesus was zealous to be our Passover lamb, to save us and to glorify the Father, that he did not go into it kicking and screaming, but willingly and lovingly and humbly and passionately, even though he would suffer intense agony. This is amazing. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He suffered for us. Yeah, amazing that our Lord does not just do the Father's will, but he loves Mm -hmm. to do the Father's will, Mm -hmm. even though there will be price and pain. Mm -hmm. So Jesus earnestly desired this moment. I think we can see first to to do the Father's will Mm -hmm. and second to teach the meaning of his death. And now we see one more reason why he was eager to have this meal with his disciples. He earnestly desired it because only by having it could the greater meal come after it. Mm. Because Jesus knew that it was the shadow of the even greater meal to come, a a foretaste of what is even better. Mm. Let's see what he says to to them here in verse 15 of chapter 22. He said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until, here's the key word, until, until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Mm. Jesus was eager to have this meal because he knew that it would, for what it would lead to, that after having it, that the next celebration would be with him in the kingdom, in the fullness of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. This is remarkable. Jesus has not yet celebrated a Passover in heaven. 
He is waiting for all his people to be gathered to him. Then there will be a great supper, known as the marriage supper of the Lamb, Revelation 19.9. This is a fulfillment in the kingdom of God Jesus longs for. It will be the greatest feast of all. But before this one will happen, Jesus knew that this one must. So Jesus is the fulfillment of this Passover meal. Mm -hmm. Uh, He is the true Passover lamb. Mm. This was prepared even uh, before the Old Testament events in Exodus. Mm. It was prepared in eternity past. Mm -hmm. And Jesus passionately uh, wanted to eat this meal, knowing its cost, but also knowing its future glory. Mm. Now, this is what God has done in Christ Jesus. But we also see here, he tells us what we are to do. Verse 19. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, the cup that is poured out for you. You know, this is our part, isn't it? Uh, This is what we have to do, is to remember, remembering him. Of course, we know this as communion or the Lord's Supper. As believers in Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb, Um, We are not asked to keep the original feast of Passover or the original unleavened bread, not literally, but we are to remember, to observe uh, the significance of this meal with Jesus, that it's all about him and what he has done for us. And we do that in taking the bread and cup at communion. Again, the Lord engages our senses to help us remember, but it is remembering that is the key part. Yes, and to remember what? Just as the blood of the Passover lamb rescued the Hebrew people from slavery, it's the blood of Jesus alone that saves us from the slavery of our sin as well. And of course, that could remind us of the old hymn line by Robert Lowry, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Mm -hmm. This aspect of the blood of Christ was so powerful for me when I first became a Christian. My favorite song was this, this hymn, What Can Wash Away My Sin? And it, it is a powerful connection to think of the first Passover lamb with the blood smeared over the doorpost and the angel of death passing over. And then to think of the blood of Christ shed for us. His blood is over us so that when the wrath of God comes on this sinful world in the future judgment, we are safe because our Passover lamb whose blood was shed for us is over us. And I love that Great paradox that blood, which normally is known to stain, is the only thing that can truly wash us clean. And so this is what we must remember. Mm-hmm. And remember it not embarrassingly. That, you know, as some churches have shied away from this teaching and mm-hmm. this truth, and they've run away from this most essential reality of the mm-hmm. blood of Jesus. Mm-hmm. We are to remember it not passively, but we are to remember it with the same fervent desire that Jesus had when he did this for us, when he gave his life to save us from slavery and death. Mm. So we remember passionately. Jesus passionately died for us. Mm. But we don't stop there either, do we? No, we don't. We remember the blood of Jesus justifies us before God, but Jesus' work does not end there. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, we can have a new covenant relationship with God, but this is also to enable inner transformation. We can have a new and close relationship with God. Jesus came to justify, but not only justify, praise the Lord, he came also to sanctify. He came to change us. And here's where we recognize that Jesus is not only the fulfillment of the Passover meal or lamb, but also of the unleavened bread on our behalf. Mm. 
See, again, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, it was a picture of sin in our lives. Mm. Israel was to remove the yeast to show uh, how we need to remove the sin in our lives. There needs to be a break, yes, a separation, and this ongoing exodus or exiting of sin in our lives. Mm. We see this again in, in that feast, don't we? In those days of unleavened bread. Mm-hmm. Remember, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was to be kept for seven days. The number seven is the biblical number for completion or fullness. Those who believe in Jesus the Messiah and choose to make him the Lord of their lives choose to do so for the complete course of their lives until their days are full and they come to their eternal rest. There is no time in the life of a believer when a little bit of sin is acceptable. Sin is a trap. Sin seeks to harden us and steal joy from us and turn us away from God and his purposes. We must diligently search out sin and rid it from our lives. And yet, you know, this part of the feast, it just points us right back to Jesus again, doesn't it? Hmm. Because isn't it true when we see how difficult it is to get out all of the leaven, or in our Hmm. case, the the dirt or crumbs, Hmm. uh, to get that out of our homes, we realize just how difficult it is to get the sin out of our lives. Hmm. You know, it's easy to find the obvious loaves of bread in the the pantry or Mm -hmm. in the cupboards, but you really have to hunt for those Cheerios (laughs) Cheerios <laughs> between the couch cushions. Now, those of you at home with toddlers, you know what we're talking about. In the same way, it is easier to get the big or obvious sins out of our lives, but mm. it is more difficult to get those hidden, seemingly small ones out before they fester. Mm-hmm. And just as Israel tried to clean out the home uh, of, of all the yeast, this is an impossible task on our own. Mm. To clean out the mess in our souls and our spirits, we need help. We need help from somebody perfect mm. to do it in us and for us and with us. Mm. And so not only is Jesus the Passover lamb covering our sin, he is also the only sinless person on this planet. And his body is represented by the, the matzo, the yeastless mm. bread. Mm-hmm. And he came to help us, to help us in the day to day. And so Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to be in us and slowly to find all that yeast in us and burn it up. He burns up the sin just like the families burn up the leftover yeast before these two feasts. This is for those who trust him as the lamb whose blood was shed to wash away our sins. And though he lives inside us, we have to welcome him to do this work in us. We come to him and pray with the psalmist to reveal all the hidden yeast. We can pray, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. So the question we must ask today is, where is the yeast still active in our lives? What areas of our hearts are still hidden from the Lord? What secret corners of our heart have you kept darkened that need to be exposed to the life-giving, life-transforming light of Christ? The good news is that Christ is eager to cleanse our hearts and empower us by the Holy Spirit. And as we surrender those dark areas of our lives, he does not leave us empty, but rather he fills us with his peace and with his joy. The more surrendered we become to him and his will, the more delight we will experience in this life. You know, I've known this to be true in my own life. And so the days of unleavened bread, they remind us, don't they, that that we need God's help. And with his help, we we can remove and and avoid sin, uh, symbolized by leaven, and live genuinely by God's commandments in all areas of our life. 
but that the Lord will help us with this. Mm-hmm. He will help us as as we seek Him. Mm-hmm. You know, this is important. I think in in our in our day, in our time, in our season right now, mm. it, it is a great time for us in the church to examine ourselves. Mm. Uh, we have a lot of questions about the times we live in, but a first importance should be these questions: Where is my heart? Uh, is it for the Lord? Is it for what pleases Him? Is it for things that he cares about, like the lost. Uh, where is my care for other souls? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a necessary uh, time of examination for us. Yes, and a time for us to confess and repent of that yeast, that sin in our lives, um, whether it be apathy, uh, idolatry, and, and for us to seek renewal in our lives and in our churches. Mm. You know, it could be that the Lord wants us to use this strange time, I'm sure of it, to mm. to convict us and mm. to do a renewing work in our lives that will ultimately wake us up mm-hmm. uh, to the Lord uh, and to the mission and calling he has for us. Mm-hmm. And how does that happen? It, tur- it happens by us turning to our true Passover lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. This happens by looking to the one who suffered greatly to redeem us from all wickedness mm. and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good, Titus 2.14. And so this is what the Passover meal in the Old Testament was pointing forward to. And this is what communion or the Lord's Supper today is pointing us to. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, when we gather as the church to do this, it is God's gracious gift to us. To eat the bread, signifying his broken body, and drink the cup, signifying his shed blood, in remembrance of him, and by extension, to rejoice in him. Hmm. Because the Lord has delivered his people from judgment. And because he freely gives us the help, we need to leave a life of sin and to lead a new life. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, was sacrificed for the forgiveness of our sins, thus enabling us to be unleavened, cleansed of sin. And he continues to help us put sin out of our lives by dwelling in us through the Holy Spirit. So I think we should say hallelujah, what a savior, and may we always remember him and always rejoice in him. Right, may we trust in his body broken for us and his blood shed for us that our hearts may be transformed and we might give our lives for the good of others and the glory of God. Thanks for joining us today. This podcast comes out every second Friday. Please join us again as we continue in our study through Promises Kept, the whole story of the Bible as we dive into the first half of, half of chapter 5, Ever Reigning King. May the Lord bless you in Christ. See you next time.